talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective. I'm here with my co-host, retired captain of NYPD, Ed Mamet. Hello, WABC listeners. We have another great interview today, so we're looking forward to this interview. Today's guest on Cop Talk is DeRoy Murdoch. DeRoy is a contributor to the New York Post, Fox News, National Review, and other major outlets. He's been a media fellow with the Hoover Institution on War, Revolution, and Peace at Stanford University. He's also a senior fellow with the free market think tank, the Atlas Network. He's a very huge supporter of law enforcement, outspoken critic against the defund the police movement. He's also co-wrote Trump should exempt police from federal income taxes with our own Joe Diamond. DeRoy, welcome to the show. Kevin, it's great to be with you and also with Ed. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. You bet. DeRoy, would you tell us about your background uh, as a commentator on politics and public policies? Sure, I'll do that. But uh, first, let me begin by thanking both of you for your service to the city of New York for your excellent work in law enforcement and also salute all those people out there in blue in New York and across the country who are putting their lives on the line every day to keep us safe and secure. Yeah, we Thank appreciate you. that. Thank you. Absolutely. We appreciate you as well. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you. Uh, as for uh, my career as a commenter, I've been doing this a long time. I've been writing uh, editorial pieces, opinion pieces, all the way back to ninth grade. Uh, I was editor-in-chief of my junior high school paper at Paul Revere Junior High School in Los Angeles. I was on the Tideline at uh, Palisades High School in Pacific Palisades, California. Uh, I was not on the staff, but I wrote for the Hoya at Georgetown. Uh, I was senior editor of Opportunity at uh, NYU Business School. And I started writing opinion pieces for the first non-school paper, for which I wrote was the Washington Times. A wonderful man, man, wonderful man named William Shesher was the editorial page editor there. I met him at CPAC, I think, 85 or so, and told him that I was writing pieces for the Hoya. Would he consider writing pieces by, running pieces by yours truly? He said, great, send me something. I'll take a look. So what, like we did back then, I wrote a piece uh, typed it, printed it out, put it in the mail with a postage stamp and sent it to the Washington Times. And about three four days, three or four days later, it was in the Washington Times. I sent him another one. He ran that. And that was the first uh, major uh, non-scholastic publication for which I wrote. And I've been writing opinion pieces ever since. And I, I do a column every week called This Opinion Just In. I usually write another one or two pieces as well. If it's around election time, it might be four or five pieces. And I'm on air as a Fox News contributor, as you said, I'm usually on about uh, two, three, four times a week and very happy to be part of the national conversation. Now, you you and Joe Diamond, one of our own, he's our, uh, he's our producer here at WBC Radio for our podcast, Cop Talk. Wrote, you guys wrote a recent article uh, for The Daily Caller and also Newsmax. And it was called Tax Break for Cops. Could you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, Joe came to me with this, this idea, which I thought was an excellent one, which is to do something to try to reverse the tremendous damage that defund the police movement has done over the last uh, three or so years, uh, not just in removing badly needed resources from police departments, but the tremendous lack, uh, tremendous decrease in morale of demonizing cops, uh, diminishing them, attacking them as racists and evil people and on and on and on. Uh, as a consequence of all this, we've seen tremendous decimation in police departments across the country. Uh, we've seen a, a drop in uh, the number of people retiring, or I should say increase the retirements um, 
uh, in police departments from, from 2019 to 2022, 19% increase in retirements, 47% increase in resignations. Part of the reason for the explosion in crime is we just have so many fewer cops on the streets. One really simple and I think very intelligent way to turn this around is to say that we should treat our cops in America the same way we treat our, our uh, combat uh, GIs, which is that their combat, combat pay should be exempt from federal tax. So if you're a cop working in America, You'll have to pay local tax and state tax, but you would be excused from federal tax. Uh, that would be a huge incentive for people to, to join police forces, stay on police forces, delay retirement. It would give them a shot in the arm. It would basically give a big pat on the back to every cop around, uh, across, across America saying, we have your backs. We appreciate you. We value what you do. We're going to try to make it easier for you to take care of yourself, your family, your loved ones. And uh, I think exempting from federal tax would be a very smart way to do it. What was the reaction to your article? Well, mixed. Uh, there were obviously people who think that was a great idea and, and a really good way to, to accomplish what we want to do in terms of uh, increasing uh, the um, appreciation of law enforcement. First question people ask is, well, this is going to cost a lot of money. You know, we can't afford this. Now, it would cost about roughly seventy-one, seven thousand, about $7,200 in uh, federal taxes on average for cops who make about 58000 which is a median salary for most cops. Uh, but according to Princeton economics researcher Stephen Mello, he estimated in 2019, and I'm quoting, each additional sworn officer reduces victimization costs by about $352,000. So in other words, for, for about $7,200 in lost income tax, you gain $352,000 in, um, in uh, victim, victimization costs that are forgone. That seems like a real bargain to me. Um, the other argument you get is, well, if once we uh, give this to cops, then we've got to give it to firefighters, we've got to give it to ambulance drivers, so on and so on. We, we can debate that down the road. But I think right now uh, we have a huge problem with people being killed across this country, uh, violent crime, nonviolent crime all over the place. We need to address that very quickly. We can debate whether we do or don't extend this to others, but let's at least get this done quickly and, and stop the bloodshed and the mayhem and the chaos across the country. You know, there's, there's hypocrisy in one of those arguments. They're willing to give uh, the tax break to people who have college loans and just wipe them out, you know, but yet they're not willing, these people who are critical of the plan are not willing to give cops a tax incentive. At least the cops are working and protecting them. Yeah, that's right. A lot right. of these people are students. They're not really protecting the police. You know, so I mean, these things, that bugs me. No, this is true. I mean, look, you, you can be a, a decent law-abiding uh, person who's, who's paying off student loans and, and, you know, Joe Biden comes in and says, don't worry, we'll take care of that for you. Uh, but you're right. You're not necessarily protecting the, the public, number one. Number two, think about the people getting lots of money, like the people who are in uh, free hotel rooms in Times Square. They're not uh, cops. They're not even... Uh, American citizens with student loans. These are people who broke into our country. The first thing they did it when they entered America was break federal law. They invaded our country. And guess what? Free hotel rooms, free medical care, free education for their kids. So so the people who are complaining, oh, 7200 for cops, we can't afford that. They're more than happy to shell out. I think it's now running $85,000 per legal alien coming to New York City. They're okay with that, but, uh, but screw the cops. And that's unfortunately the attitude of the left in this country these days. Right. Well, that's why we're here and why we're talking to you. Now, getting back to... Um uh, the uh, the tax break. Um, President Trump has a tough campaign related to public safety. Do you think that he would be behind this tax break? Uh, I can't speak for him, but I think if he he'd certainly be open to looking at it. I don't think he'd reject it outright. Uh, he certainly is pro law enforcement. There's no no question that he is somebody who who, who appreciates and and values encourages people in the law enforcement community across the country. Um, he's also a big tax cutter. I mean, he's responsible for the biggest tax cut in American history. Uh, we have one of the reasons this economy is moving forward at all is that Joe Biden has not managed to kill uh, the. Uh, Trump tax cuts, especially 21% corporate tax rate, which is the lowest we've seen in, in decades. Um, 
maybe in our lifetimes. And so as somebody who's pro-law enforcement and pro-tax gun, I imagine uh, that uh, Donald J. Trump would at least take a serious look at this idea, if not implement it. In your article, you wrote that uh, if Trump uh, wins in a close race, there could be massive uh, unrest in this country. Could you explain that? Sure. You know, it's interesting that Democrats talk about, oh, election denial and uh, Republicans are against democracy and they won't accept the le- legitimate results of an election. Uh, these are the same people, not 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago, just four years ago, four years before the 2020 election, 2016, who did not accept the idea that Donald J. Trump won legally. They said it must be stolen, it must be Russian uh, Russian uh, bots or must be Russian uh, Kremlin involvement, etc. And the same people who yell and scream and yell about Republican Demo- uh, election denial were running around the streets breaking windows, setting cars on fire, engaging in all sorts of riots and other violence. They also ran around, as you may recall, Martin Sheen and Noah Wiley and other celebrities set up this organization where they were pressuring electors in the Electoral College to ignore the votes of their states and then go and vote against Trump and for Hillary Clinton. Uh, this is going on at the same time Democrats are attacking Trump because he basically did the same thing, trying to encourage electors uh, who he thought were his to, to vote for him rather than for Hillary Clinton. But when he does it, it's an attack on democracy. He needs to be indicted. When the Democrats do it. It's just public policy. Uh, and so that's uh, my fear is I, I'm hoping that Donald J. Trump is, is elected in November 2024. But even, you know, even if he wins on a landslide, uh, you know, I think the left will scream and yell. If, certainly if it's a close election, I think that they will express their displeasure by going out, going out the streets and doing what they do best, which is engaging, engaging in the same political violence that they accuse Republicans of doing. Well, that's the state of affairs today in this country. Yeah, it's the, mag- the magic of psychological projection, which is one of the, one of the chief uh, motivators of the Democrat Party Let's today. Let's go on to a more local issue. My favorite topic, our um, <laughs> alleged mayor, Eric Adams, who I had the displeasure of working with years ago. You say that you're very critical of him, uh, and you say that he is uh, he's a threat to public safety, something like that. Can you elaborate? Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people expected Eric Adams as a former cop uh, to come in and be a very strong pro-law enforcement, pro-police uh, kind of mayor. Uh, he's certainly an improvement over Bill de Blasio, who I think is basically a communist. I mean, he, if I remember correctly, I believe he honeymooned in Cuba and then spent a lot of time hanging out with the Ortegas in, in Nicaragua. I mean, this man is a full-blown Marxist, so so Eric Adams is an improvement over that, but he, he comes very, very, very uh, falls short of being a Rudy Giuliani type who believes in community policing, broken windows theory, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, one simple thing he could have done, which I don't believe he's done, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, uh, during the whole George Floyd riot situation, we disbanded the uh, uh, the uh, undercover uh, police the force. Anti-crime units. Correct. I remember walking down the street down 6th Avenue, probably sometime in the 90s. I can't give you the exact year, but I remember this very clearly. I was walking down the street. I see a yellow cab pull up, across, uh, pull up to the curb. Uh, uh, some people who didn't look like cab drivers jumped out of the car, ran down the subway and pulled somebody out. Some criminal was up to no good. I'm not sure what. And at the same time that happened, all these people walking down the street, some of them in suits, some of them dressed up in athletic wear, some of them dressed up looking like students, pull their badges out. It turns out these are cops. Uh, you could have paid me hundred thousand dollars. I wouldn't be able to pick them out of out of a crowd. All of a sudden, these cops pop out pop up out of nowhere. They run the scene. Once the thing got taken care of, they put the perp in the cab in the cab slash police car, drove away with him. And these people put their badges back in their shirts and disappeared, melted away, instantly invisible. I felt first of all surprised. I've never seen that before. Number one, and number two, very comforted to know I'm walking down the street. I'm there, cops all over the place. I have no idea who they are, and more importantly, the criminals don't know who they are. I would love to see the, that uh, establishment or that 
uh, unit put back into place. That would give me a real sense Eric Adams is making a big difference. Uh, as far as I know, he's not done that. That's uh, to the massive detriment of the 8.5 million well, people um, in New York City. Well, but de Blasio was the one who did that. He ordered that the precinct anti-crime units be abolished. That's right. And Adams has not reinstated him, which I think uh, he Well, should. he's done something to that effect. He's created these neighbor, neighborhood uh, teams that's sort of a hybrid. But the problem is they're not in the Mufti. They're wearing uh, a uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so the element of surprise is lost on them. You need the element of surprise, right? But, but getting back to Eric Adams, yep. I just want to point something out. He was not in the police department for 22 years. He was in the transit police for his first 11 years. And then when the merge took place in 1995, he came over to the police department as a sergeant. But he keeps saying he had 22 years in the department, and mm. the news media keeps repeating that. It's not true. Interesting. And when he was in the transit, he didn't do very much. You know, so his background is quite checkered. And, yeah. And I, I know quite a bit about him, and the public doesn't know this, but um, he does not have the experience or the management experience or the police experience that he claims to have. I don't think Eric Adams is evil. Uh, my sense is he more or less has his heart in the right place, but he just strikes me as very weak and very ineffective, insufficiently tough. I think he's too nice. You can't be a nice guy and run New York City. You know, part of the reason Rudy Giuliani succeeded so well in New York City is he's a tough guy. Nobody ever said he was a you know a pushover. Well, he can't be a pushover on New York City. And I wish Eric Adams would get up every morning, take his SOB pills, and go to work. Uh, I think he'd be a much more effective mayor if he did that than being somebody who's sort of a little soft, a little pleasant, and you know, maybe a, a bit. Uh, well, he's, playing, warm and he's playing the politically correct game. You know, that he doesn't is, want to antagonize true. his base. Correct. You know, uh, one, one place where he absolutely has failed, and he has to take full credit for this, is the way he's handled this illegal alien disaster. If I were mayor of New York City, I would have the police uh, watching the t- the bridges and tunnels, and as soon as these buses come in at these Ill- illegal aliens, I turn around and go home. And by the way, get to the Rio Grande and swim home and get the hell out of our country because you broke well, in here well, you don't belong here. Well, Instead, they're welcome here, and they're filling it. I think half the hotel rooms in New York City are filled with illegal aliens. Unbelievable. We're paying for all that ourselves here. The taxpayers well, are well, overburdened. Well, let me tell you a major problem with this. When they get arrested... There's no database to check them against. So they have to be booked as John Doe's. Unbelievable. We and don't know get, who these people and are. And they get fingerprinted, and there's nothing to check against. And So what are they going to do in the court? Are they going to let them out with escapeering tickets? Or and, and these could you know? be nice people who just want to work here. These could be vicious criminals right. who, who can't wait to slit somebody's throat. We have no idea. God knows we have the MS-13 guys, and they like to chop people's heads off for laughs. You know, These are these are not nice folks. We have no idea who's coming across the country, across the border right. right now. Utter, total bedlam. Now let's US move Mexican on to frontier. Chicago. The mayor there, uh, Brandon John, he says that a mob, that a mob is a, is just a large gathering. Yes, this politically was, correct terminology. Yes, this is the wonderful mayor uh, Brandon Johnson of of Chicago, who's so left wing. I think he makes Lori Lightfoot look like Margaret Thatcher. I didn't think that was possible, but here we are. And uh, there's this uh, a bunch of kids, uh, teenagers, looks like I call them a mob, uh, attacking it. Looked like a convenience store, Seven Eleven, something like this. And some journalist said, "What do you think about that? You know, mob situation?" So, oh, don't use that word. That's not the right word. It's a large gathering. Uh, look, there's nothing wrong with calling a bunch of bad kids tearing up a convenience store a mob and the mayor of chicago every mayor across the america should be focused on how do we keep these people safe protect people's lives people's property and not get caught up in in well is it a mob or a gathering what's the right pronoun what do we call these people uh you know we're playing word games and what we need is really to have the law enforced and to have, have public safety implemented
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, DeRoy, uh, getting back to the riots. So back in like 1989, 1990, we had the Tompkins Square riots down in Tompkins Square Park. I was an anti-crime then, which was plain clothes, uh, which they have not brought back yet. Like Ed said, you know, uh, they went like a windbreaker. Basically, it's not totally plain clothes. <laughs> With that said and done, Soft uh, uniform. yes, so the anti-crime units would go down to Tompkins Square Park, and we'd get into the crowd. We'd be with the crowd, you know, as if we were protesters. And then when we saw a, uh, a perpetrator throw a bottle at a cop or a rock, whatever the case may have been, we'd follow that person. We Observation, you know, crime. We'd follow the person, and it could be an hour later, two hours later, till they went to the subway, and then we'd grab them before we went onto the train, and there you go. You're arrested for assault on a police officer. Um, we didn't make the arrest right away because of the fact, we, you know, we had time, uh, time was on our side and we had the observation and we just made the arrest and, and, um, it was drawn up and the assault, uh, charge stuck on a police officer. Today, they're not, today, they're not doing that. I mean, unfortunately, anti-crimes are not in the, in the, in the, uh, as far as I know anyway, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but there's not, no arrest being made as well as the, we have a mounted unit. The mounted unit is for, you know, riots and crowd control and, I believe the uh, the last thing we just had the other day down in uh, Union Square Park, I believe mounted units responded, but I don't know if they were told not to do anything because they didn't do anything. So that's an unfortunate, that's a, a resource we could use, the New York City Police Department mounted unit. You know? Yeah, absolutely. There's something about uh, being you know 5, 10, or 6 feet tall and seeing a, a cop on a horse, their combined height is probably, I'm going to guess, around 11 or 12 feet. You know That, that sends a message alone without the cop having to do anything. Right. You know, you're, you're standing there and there's a, there's a horse with a cop on top. You think, well, gee, I better get out of the way and try to behave myself. Uh, I live just below Union Square, a block and a half below Union Square, and I was actually on Friday trying to get to Fox News Channel to appear on Kudlow's show. Uh, and as I got walked outside, I saw these cop cars going the wrong way against traffic, bedlam all over, and I got to the subway, and the subway was closed. I had to contact my producer and say, I, I'm not going to make it to the studio in time. So I just went back home, stood on my balcony, just watched four helicopters overhead, a drone, uh, smoke bombs, people running around all over. I mean, total, total chaos, total pandemonium, all over this uh, effort by some uh, so-called YouTube influencer to give away PlayStations. I mean, what a country you've turned into. I was there also, by the way. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. You, uh, Very entertaining. Yeah, well, I was actually closer to it than you were. Were you? I was mm-hmm. about two blocks away. You're about three. Yeah, well, no, a block and a half. I was, but I actually walked up to Fourth Avenue, Fourth Avenue, Fourteenth, and saw the saw the uh, chaos. There it was really quite something else. Captain Ed, did you get your uh, ride gear on and get down there and take care of business? I don't or? have any. I figured I'd get a steel pot and a, and a broomstick. <laughs> But I knew something was going on when I saw the helicopter. Yeah. And then three helicopters. Yeah, a lot of helicopters. I will say I was very impressed within probably about half an hour of, of when I saw it starting in around 4 o'clock or so. Uh, there were cops on the streets with batons with their riot helmets on. And again, the, the, just the visual of that, I think, got people to calm down and, and behave themselves, which is what, what we need. What we needed then and we need all the time. I know, I, I, Roy, I think you may have touched on this already, but there was a, there's a video out there of shoplifters brazenly robbing a 7-Eleven in California. Uh, throw merchandise in a garbage can and continue to go through the store. And then at which time the employees confront him and now they're facing assault charges 
Yeah, mm-hmm. astonishing. This happened, I think, in Stockton, California, and these are uh, two uh, Sikh gentlemen, I guess maybe of Indian, East Indian background, I suppose, uh, East Asian anyhow. And this guy comes in, and a lot of people say, oh, the shoplifters, they just want to take care of their kids. So he was stealing bread for his little girl at home. He had a trash can. He was going through the tobacco section and filling the trash can with tobacco, with cigarettes, the cigars, et cetera, et cetera. And the whole time he's being totally brazen. You can't stop me. You can't do anything about this. Ha, ha, ha. Just mocking these store owners as he's cleaning out this merchandise. Obviously, to go, I don't think he's going to go smoke all this himself. He's probably going to go and fence these hot goods. And one of them took a stick and started beating him. And, and this guy didn't expect this. He got him on the ground and beat him with a, with a look like a mop handle or a broom handle and got the guy to relent finally, which is what he should have done, and I'm glad he did. And now, unfortunately, looks like, like the store owner may be facing assault charges. Um, I think this is absolutely wrong. He had every right to defend his store, every right to defend his property, every right to attack the shoplifter. There's nothing cute about shoplifting. This is a thief. This guy probably is not, I'm guessing it's probably not the first time he's done it. We have people in this city who've been arrested for shoplifting, not once or twice or three times, but I saw in one case 103 times. Uh, you'd think after like 30 or 40, the judge would say, all right, we need to lock you up, but you're all the way up to triple-digit arrest for shoplifting. I think we need to take this a step further. I favor a, a commercial retail stand-your-ground law. Uh, store owners should be able to uh, use whatever force they need, they need, including deadly force, to stop shoplifters. If that's what it takes to put an end to this shoplifting pandemic, so be it. And I think if we put uh, three or four or five shoplifters into caskets, that will send a message. And this garbage will stop. And these people will do what the rest of us does, which will do, which is when you want to buy something, you get your wallet out, you pay for it. You just walk off with it. That's not cute. That's not funny. It's a national disaster. And I think uh, using, again, whatever force is necessary, including deadly force, to put an end to this needs to happen right now. I favor a uh, coast-to-coast states and cities should pass a national uh, retail and commercial stand-your-ground laws. We can put an end to this explosion of shoplifting across the country. I agree. Captain? In your latest article, you referred to the Justice Department as Biden's campaign headquarters. Uh, How do we clean up the Justice Department? Boy, we have a huge cleanup job uh, to do with the Department of Justice. So we were sort of talking before we got on on the air here uh, about the justice system and and, – uh, I said to Kevin, I said, how are you enjoying our two-track justice system? You know, why, why have a one-track justice when we have two and two for the right. price of one, which is right. what we've got right now. And basically, if you're a Republican, Republican like Donald J. Trump, uh, you'll be indicted. You'll face federal charges for all sorts of things. If you're a Democrat, you walk. And we see this over and over and over with uh, the charges against uh, Trump, for example, on the Mar-a-Lago business with the classified documents. You've got the FBI going in and raiding his, his home, uh, going into his, his wife's uh, uh, closet and looking through her clothes, going into his son's room and all that. Uh, they get these documents, which the President of the United States, whether you like it or not, the President of the United States is allowed to have classified documents. That's part of the Presidential Records Act. Uh, anyway, he gets indicted. Meanwhile, the FBI does not raid Joe Biden's house. He has classified documents sitting in his garage next to his Corvette. Uh, and rather than send the FBI in, they send in Joe Biden's own lawyers, and Joe, Bo- Joe Biden's own lawyers decide what is or is not classified, what should or should not be turned over. Wouldn't it be nice if Trump had had that kind of treatment, if he, Giuliani could have gone in and gone through these documents and decided what what, you know, what to turn over, what not to turn over. Uh, and then you see just the, the unbelievable treatment his, uh, his son is getting, for example, with this uh, plea deal, which unraveled a couple weeks ago. But uh, all of his uh, involvement in tax evasion for 2014 and 2015 – uh, that was waived because the statute of limitations lapsed because the investigation was so slow. Uh, you had this incredible situation where you had a uh, the, the IRS was investigating Hunter and they wanted to go in and uh, get a search warrant to take a look at his storage locker in Northern Virginia. 
and this is IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley. He uh, spoke before the uh, House investigators, and he said that uh, they were looking into this, looking, looking into getting a search warrant for this storage unit. However, Shapley told House investigators uh, that DOG prosecutor Leslie Wolf, I'm quoting, simply reached out to Hunter Biden's defense counsel and told him about the storage unit, once again ruining our chance to get to evidence before being destroyed, manipulated, or concealed, unquote. So you have a prosecutor at the Department of Justice contacting Hunter Biden's lawyer and saying, hey, by the way, the IRS might be coming in to check out your, your storage unit. You might want to do something about that. This is obstruction of justice in screaming bright red neon letters. This Shapley, not Shapley, excuse me, this Leslie Wolf, uh, assistant U.S. attorney, should be in handcuffs right now for under suspicion of of obstruction of justice. So this is the kind of stuff we've got going on with Republicans being locked up, Democrats skating, and Department of Justice basically uh, serving as the human shields for the Biden family. It is an awful situation, and this country is turning into Venezuela right before our eyes. What do you What do you think of the idea of uh, the head of the Justice Department being elected? Now, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll tell you why. If you look at the local government, the equivalent of the Justice Department at a lower level would be the district attorneys. At the state level, it would be the attorney general's office. These are elected officials. They're not appointed. Now, Colombia, the country of Colombia in South America, their Justice Department head is elected. Our situation here is that the head of the Justice Department is appointed by the uh, I'm sorry, the mayor, by the president. Do you think that if we had an elected Justice Department official, it would be different because they would be independent of the president? Uh, no, I don't favor that. It's an interesting idea, but it's not one I support. Um, I think when the president, when people run for president, the voters know, okay, I'm going to get a president who will do uh, what I want, presumably, at the Treasury Department, at the Commerce Department, at the Defense Department, at the Department of Justice. And it should be one thing people think about. You know, what, what American people need to understand isn't just, oh, Biden's a nice guy. I want to have a beer with him. Well, guess what, honey? You're not going to have a beer with the President of the United States. The Secret Service is going to let you anywhere near enough to the President of the United States to have a beer with him. So stop thinking about that. Instead, think about... I need to make a very careful decision about somebody who not only will be making decisions of, about life and death with U.S. intelligence agencies, the U.S. Department of Defense, et cetera, et cetera, but also somebody who's going to be in charge of the Department of Justice, the FBI, the entire federal criminal system, uh, our, our federal penitentiaries, et cetera, and make a very careful decision as to who's the best person to handle all of that. And then when, once that person is elected, we'll be, the person can put in the person who's best to be attorney general. What I wouldn't want to see is, for example, having elected attorney general and have President Donald J. Trump and then maybe somebody running for a general uh, attorney general would be uh, Attorney General Susan Rice or Attorney General, how about this, Attorney General, general Bill de Blasio. And so you've got Trump in the White House with, the, with Bill de Blasio running the Department of Justice. You know, it could happen. Crazier, crazier things have happened. So I, I think I believe in, in an executive branch run by one executive without people coming in with other, other ideas other than what the president wants to implement. Well, you know, there's an analogy. That if you recall, the FBI was sort of very independent under J. Edgar Hoover, but after the abuses... There was a big change. The FBI now is a, a director's appointed for 10 years. Yep. So the analogy would be maybe some compromise could be made regarding the head of the Justice Department, somewhere in between direct appointment by the president and an elected, perhaps set up some kind of qualifications to have that job. Well, what I'd rather see is for somebody like Donald J. Trump to come in and hose out the Department of Justice. And if look, if you are uh, just doing your job and you're going after criminals, great. But if you're sitting in your office basically acting as a, as a campaign surrogate for either campaign, the Democrat campaign or the Republican campaign, and you're doing things like intervening in uh, potential search warrants and warning 
targets of search warrants. Hey, the the uh, investigators may, might be coming after you. Uh, you've got in the Biden case, I think they've got uh, six banks issuing 170 different suspicious activity reports. The Department of Justice doesn't seem to have any interest in this at all. Uh, at that point, people like that are not doing not serving the American public. They're serving a particular uh, political agenda and specifically a, a partisan political agenda. And people who are doing that, if they're breaking the law, they need to be arrested and indicted and imprisoned if they're convicted. And if they're not doing that, but they're acting unethically, they need to be disbarred there and their uh, law licenses need to be shredded on national television as an example to others. Well, our prosecutor's office here in New York City, all five boroughs, you have New York City police officers affecting an arrest using necessary force. And then all of a sudden, the prosecutor is locking them up and indicting them on assault charges. It's like reverse. It's unbelievable. It's well, you know, I think in many respects we're living in upside down landy, as I call it. You know, things that things that would have been unthinkable even five or three years ago are happening on a daily basis. And you've got uh, these cops you say are using necessary force are getting uh, charged with assault. You've got this tremendous uh, situation with Alvin Bragg, their so-called, using air quotes here, prosecutor, uh, district attorney here in uh, Manhattan. Uh, people get engaged in all sorts of crimes, they get arrested, and he's got them back on the street, you know, within a couple of hours. You know, we wouldn't want to interfere with these people's uh, criminal careers. So please go back on the streets and, and, and return to your criminal career, sir. Sorry to make, sorry to inconvenience you with that arrest. And you got people who you get, uh, I think we had a case just the other day of uh, somebody who was, if I remember correctly, he was arrested for beating up his girlfriend uh he was released he then went onto the sub- subway i think he stabbed somebody if I'm not wrong and he was released again i mean what does it take to get somebody to commit a crime get arrested and get thrown behind bars i mean i have to shoot somebody in the face on, on on live television i mean short of anything like that you're back on the street to continue your criminal career with a pat on the back and almost like a high five from the da of manhattan yeah, Unbelievable. that's, that's the state legislature well, with the bail reform yep. you know the da's they have a great excuse. They can hide behind this uh, bail reform. A guy like Bragg has a perfect built-in defense. You know, I'm doing this because my hands are tight. Yep. So it, it has to start at the at the state level. We've got to get everything changed. It does. And Eric Adams early on, wanted. he said he wanted to overturn all this bail reform stuff. So he hopped on an Amtrak train, I guess, with his press secretary. They went up to Albany. They were laughed at. They were told, okay, go back, go back to your... Go back to City Hall, little boy, was kind of their attitude. What he should have done is gotten on a train with himself as press secretary and probably 500 crime victims, all with pictures of their dead relatives. You know, here's my dead mom, here's my dead husband, here's my dead wife, dead children, whatever, and have those people march on the state capitol and embarrass the hell out of these people, put tremendous pressure on them. And as Senator Everett Dirksen, the late great senator from uh, Republican of Illinois, said, when I feel the heat, I see the light. And I think if he had made these people feel the heat, they might have seen the light. That's the kind of strong leadership I think a lot of us expected of Eric Adams, not just him and one aide going in and, and shaking a couple of hands and walking away empty handed. Well, he should he have did. done what Giuliani would have done, called him out. Yeah, absolutely. And gone public with it. You know, there's absolutely. a lot he could do a lot by putting people under pressure. For example, the city council passed these ridiculous laws, you know, hindering the police, you know, uh, taking away the uh, defense of qualified immunity, the uh, chokehold, the chest compression. Uh, he could re- have his legal department introduce legislation to overturn that. And even if the city overrides a veto of his, he still makes it public and he calls them out. Absolutely he right. doesn't do that. He does not. And look, you know, one thing uh, politicians can do is, as they say, make legislators famous. So he can point to the people who are the state legislators from this, from New York City, people in the city council, and say, you know, contact uh, State Senator Smith, contact City Councilman Jones, and tell them, you know, stop 
making the streets of New York dangerous and running a PR campaign. And, you know, his, it would, he'd be doing the right thing. There's a chance he might succeed. And if nothing else, we could say at least he tried. And that's very good for his, his popularity exactly. and eventually his career. But again, this is the kind of leadership we expected out of him. He can do this at no cost. This is, doesn't cost any money. But we don't see this this level, this full-blown commitment is what I think a lot of people expect out of him that we're not seeing. Thank you, DeRoy. DeRoy, how can our audience listen to you, follow you? They want to, you know, continue to listen to what you have to say, which is all great stuff. Thank you very much. Well, you know, I'm again, I'm on Fox News Channel and Fox Business Network uh, two, three times a week. So watch uh, Stuart Varney's show, watch Cudlow's show, watch The Bottom Line. Those air at between 9 and 12 um, for Varney, 4 p.m. Eastern for Cudlow, 6 p.m. for The Bottom Line. Those are probably the three shows I do most often. I appear in other shows from time to time. Uh, My op-eds appear in The Daily Caller, uh, Newsmax, foxnews.com, Daily Signal, probably most often. Uh, You certainly can just Google my name. You'll see all sorts of things pop up, things I've been writing since, I guess, probably all the way back to about the year 2000. So you probably uh, that's about when, I mean, I've been writing really since 1978. But uh, in terms of the stuff that's online, it's about 2000 onwards. So you can probably look up my name and find hundreds and hundreds of articles on these topics we've discussed and many others. I think That's you should great. run for public office. Uh, I agree. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I normally say when people make that a very kind suggestion, which is if nominated, I will not run, but if elected, I will serve. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Captain? So, somebody else said that years ago. I years ago, I think, yes. Some wise man. <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, you are a super, super interview, and we thank you very much for coming in and telling us about what's going on. Ladies and gentlemen, DeRoy Murdoch, thank you so much for being here. You're an awesome uh, guest, and once again, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Great to be with you. Thank you. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Cop Talk. Um, you can follow us at Cop, at Cop Talk WABC, at Cop Talk WABC on Twitter. And until next time, please be safe out there. Thank you. <laughs>